all of it leading up to this one moment. Romans 8, verses 18 through the end, lays out for us God's speaking into the silence of our pain as we walk through it, as we feel, God, where are you at? God, have you abandoned me? God, have you, have you forgotten me? Have you changed your mind? Have you changed your plans? And so as we've been spending the last four weeks, we had no real idea that we would end up in a day where lots of people are self-quarantining, lots of churches are closing, schools are closing, businesses are closing. The uncertainty of the world would rise up. But we've reached this point, the end of this series, saying, God, what do you want to say into the silence of our pain, of our unanswered questions. What do you have to say to us? And so today we're going to be looking at the end of Romans chapter 8, where we can be in this moment saying, God, are you ignoring me? God, my situation is speaking so loudly, and yet I'm not hearing from you. And it feels like, it feels like you have forgotten me and left me alone. Romans 8, verses 35 to 39 is going to be the, 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 the end of this chapter, lays out for us the final word that God has to say to us in the middle of that silence. I'm going to begin with verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, as we have been opening your word to hear what you have to say to us in the middle of the silence of our pain, the middle of our unanswered questions, God, help us to be as convinced of your love for us as you are. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage here at the end of Romans calls us to fight to believe that God is ruling over us in love. This passage calls us to fight to believe that God is ruling over us in love, even when the situations we find ourselves in scream at us different messages. What I want to show you is three things to fight for in this passage. Three things that we are called to fight for in this passage. Verse 35 calls us, fight to believe that no condition can separate uh, me from God's rule in love. Fight to believe that no condition can separate you from God's rule in love. Verse 35 starts with, who can separate us from the love of Christ? A translation might say, what can separate us from the love of Christ? But this is following several other verses that say, that, that start with, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who will bring any charge against us? Verse 34, if God is for us, then who is the one who condemns? Verse 35 is following this idea and says, if God is for us, who is going to separate us? Or what is going to separate us from the love of God in Christ? This, this verse 35 begins to lay out different conditions that we can think are going to separate us from God's love. This, well, if I find myself in this place, then God must have forgotten me. God must have ignored me. I'm now on my own. God's love is not ruling and reigning over me and over my life. 
So then Paul begins to walk us through and say, what, what, what kinds of things do we think could separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble. Shall trouble, the trouble that I find myself in, is this going to separate me from the love of God? The implication is no, there is no trouble that we could find ourselves in. No financial trouble, no relational trouble, no attacks from the outside no trouble can separate you from God's love if God is for you. Then he says, shall hardship. He just begins to get a little bit more specific. When life gets so hard and it feels like it's crushing us from the outside and it begins to scream, where is God now? No, not even hardship can separate us from the love of God. Shall persecution, shall somebody, a government a leader, a person, an attack from the outside, is it going to separate me from the love of God? No. No persecution can separate me from the love of God. Those are ones that we can kind of put on a shelf because most of the time we don't get outright persecution. Sometimes we don't necessarily connect the trouble that we find ourselves in. But then he begins to, he, Paul begins to get really personal and says, shall famine or hunger I don't know about you, but shall famine or hunger is this call to say, will poverty separate me from the love of God? Will not being able to buy food? So many people, probably me included, have this great fear, but, but what if I get fired? What if I can't pay the bills? What if I can't? Paul says, shall famine or hunger separate me from the love of God if God is for me? Then he says, nakedness. Again, another, another word calling to mind poverty. When, if I can't afford food and I can't afford clothes, is that going to be a sign that God is not ruling over me in love anymore? Paul says, no. Not even the kind of poverty where we can't feed ourselves or clothe ourselves is going to separate us. It might happen, but not even poverty, that gripping fear that some of us live with. God, what if I fall back into that again? Not even that is going to separate me from the love of God. And he says, shall danger or sword, could there be any kind of threat on the outside? In a day like this, we could say, shall any virus, shall any health concern, shall any military or any kind of attack from the outside that threatens my physical existence, is that actually going to separate me from the love of God? Paul says, no, if God is for us, what can separate me from the love of Christ? Not any of these things in this list because Paul is calling us to fight to believe that God is ruling us in love and that no condition can threaten the thing that we most need, which is God ruling our lives in love. Paul doesn't say, if you're a Christian, you are never going to face hunger or nakedness. You're never going to face danger from the outside. You're never going to face trouble or hardship or persecution. But he says none of those conditions can threaten the thing that you most need, which is the rule of Christ in love over your life. We see an example of that in Hebrews chapter 11. It's stories of people overcoming in faith. But then we get to the end of Hebrews chapter 11, and it says, what shall we say about the guys that were sawn in half because of their faith in Christ? What should we say about those that were fed to the lions? What would we, what would we say with those that wandered the earth homeless because they have loved and followed Jesus? 
No, Hebrews chapter 11 says there are some that their conditions will, from the outside, look like they've separated them from the love of God. But Hebrews 11 says, no, even they're Hebrews of the faith. Because no condition that we find ourselves in is going to separate us from the thing that we most need, which is God ruling our lives in love. If you're like me, the way that I see trouble and persecution, hardship, famine, nakedness, danger and swords is that these things have to be stopped i have to fix this solution this situation i have to change this job i have to try and make more money i have to try and make sure i never fall back into that again this passage calls us to not not to fight the situation but fight to believe that no condition can separate us from god's rule and love we must conform our desires and our understanding to god's understanding of the reality We must begin to say, God, these conditions that are very bad and that we hate and that we look forward to one day being mended, do not separate me from your love and from you ruling my life with your great love. So we we are called to fight to believe that no condition can separate us from God's rule in love. The second thing that we're called to fight for is fight to believe that we are already victorious through God's rule in love. Verses 36 and 37 As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verses 36 and 37. It starts with a quotation from Psalm 44, verse 22, that that, that says this has actually always been the way of the people that follow God. That the difficulty that you are finding yourself in is part of what the difficulty of walking with Jesus has always been like. The psalmist says that he, we, are, we face death all day long, God. God, when are you going to deliver us? Because we are facing death all day long. God, the people on the outside consider us as a gentle animal that we can just slaughter and eat. It's always been this way. But the, the call in that psalm and the call in these verses to say this is the way it's always been that we are not walking a road that nobody else has walked. But then verse 37 calls us to this God-inclined way of thinking. This is, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A translation could be, we are already victorious. We've already won. This battle is already finished in our favor through him who loved us. The the, the call here is to to fight to believe that we are already victorious through God's rule in love. More than conquerors is somebody that's already won is now living with the results of it. This this passage calls us to fight to believe that kind of thing. Not to just go, oh, cool, we were already victorious. That means that the rest of my life is going to be easy. There's not going to be any battle. But no, this passage calls us to say we've already won. Through him who loved us, not through our own faith, not through our own obedience, not through our own hard work. We are called to fight to believe that God is ruling us in love and has already won the battle. Even if we don't necessarily feel like it right now. This passage is calling us to endure in, in the places that we find ourselves. Endure those battles that we are actually facing right now with the knowledge that how I do in this battle is not going to determine its outcome. Jesus has already determined the outcome of the battles that we fight, the real battle that we fight 
is to believe that that's true, to conform our minds to God's mind about this situation. God is looking at our situation that we say, God, it feels like I'm being killed every day. God, it feels like somebody's out to slaughter me constantly. But you say that I am already victorious and that nothing that they could do to me could, can change that. God, when you look at my situation, you already see the victory of the son that has, that has loved me. And so you're not looking at me saying, are you going to work and doing a good enough job to please me? Are you doing, you're doing a good enough job to, to have the victory. God's not looking at you and saying, in that difficult spot in your marriage, God is, God is waiting to see if I'll be good enough. This passage says we are called to believe that we are already victorious through him who loved us. And so it's our minds that we have to conform, not just actions. God, I want to think your thoughts after you. I want to see this situation in that same way. So the passage calls us fight to believe that we are already victorious through God's rule and love. And the third thing this passage calls us to fight for is fight to believe that nothing can separate you from God's rule and love. Verse 38 and 39. For I am convinced, I'm going to stop there. For I am convinced, that's, that's, this is the, the central part of this passage that says that I am, I am convinced that this is true. Not the situation has told me that this is true. Somebody else has told me that this is true. The, the key part of this is to, this call, this fight to believe, this fight for conviction. God, can I be as convinced of this as you are? For I am convinced. And what is he convinced of? For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. These are verses that somebody can easily throw at us when we're struggling and when we're suffering. And the death of a loved one, the death of a child, the death of a dream. When we're going through anguish, somebody can easily throw this out. But this passage is calling us to fight, to be convinced of the thing that God is convinced of. And then he, God begins listing for us this series of things. Not death, not life. Not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future, not any powers. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. This is this list of not this, and not this, and not this, and not this. Not the present, not the future. Not any kind of being. Not any kind of thing that can scare us. For some of us, it's that not death that is the scary thing. For others, it's the... The life that I'm living is the scary thing. God, are you sure this is not separating me from your love? For some of us, we go through this and we say, the present that I'm living with, or maybe it's my anxiety about the future. God, are you sure these things are not going to separate me from your love? God says, I am convinced that, neither, that not death and not life, not angels and not demons, not your present and not your future, not any powers, not any height and not any depth, not anything else in all of creation is going to be able to separate me from you. 
This, this, my job with this, your job with this is to be as convinced of this passage as God is convinced of it. So that when God looks at your death, he says their death is not, her death is not going to separate her from me. His life is not going to separate him from my love. Her present is not going to separate her from my love. There is no height that can separate that family from me. And there is no depth they could sink to that is going to separate them from me. This passage, rather than just something we can slip into a greeting card to try and cheer up somebody in, in grief, should instead be this promise. This is how God looks at my situation and at my present and at my future. This passage calls us to agree with God and say, God, I want to be as convinced of your mind as you are. I want to be as settled in this as you are. So often, we approach life as a series of steps that we must follow. Things that we have to do. If I do this, and then I do this, and then if I do this. If I follow this step and this step, then I get this kind of career. If I do this, and then I do this, then I get a different job. If I do this, and then I do this, then I get this kind of marriage. And if I do this, and I do this, then I get these kind of kids. I am convinced that one of the things that we often miss is actually, what are the convictions needed to walk the road that God has called us to walk down? Life is not just a series of to-do lists, action items, and steps that sometimes we need gut-level convictions that say, I am convinced of this, and so I'm going to walk the road that's in front of me. I am convinced in my gut and in my mind and in my heart that this is what God has called me to, and so I don't know how my kids are going to turn out, but I am going to walk this road because Jesus has convinced me of this. It's not just a matter of what kind of career and job do I need to have. God, what are you convinced of when you look at my life and at my future? And I want to be as convinced of that, and I will walk this road with you. This, this passage is calling us to be convinced of things, not to just do things, to set our minds and our hearts and to, so that when we get into that situation and we say, God, why? Then we have a settled answer. I don't know why, but I do know that this is not going to separate me from his love. And so I will walk this road anyway. And so maybe you're here today and you look at this and you go, God, I need to be as convinced of your convictions as you are. God, I want to agree with you so that when I lie in my bed, I'm actually thinking your thoughts and not just how do I get out of this situation? How do I fix this problem? God, I want to be convinced that nothing can separate me from your rule over my life and love. But if you're like me, we read this passage. Somebody gives it to us and says, oh, just believe that no condition can separate you from God, God's rule over your life in love. Come on, just fight to believe that you're already victorious through God's rule in love. Come on, just fight to believe that nothing can separate you from God's rule in love. But in, in the quiet moments before anybody gets up in my house and my heart is heavy with anxiety and with worry, when I lay on the floor in my basement and I sob because I'm like, God, why can't you fix these things? God, why can't you change these situations? I don't, I'm not convinced of any of these things. I break all of this. And so this passage is just a, hey, look, Joe, here's another way that you have, here's another way that you've let me down. You've not fought to believe any of these things. 
Where's the good news for somebody like you and somebody like me who doesn't fight to believe and instead just listens to the voices of the situations and the conditions and the enemy? This passage becomes good news for us when we begin to realize that this is something that Jesus fulfilled in our place. That God is calling us to fight to believe that no condition can separate us from God's rule and love. And then Jesus is the one who walked that road in our place, absolutely convinced in our place, with his face towards his father, so that even when he was being whipped and all the skin was being removed from his back, he was looking towards his father in faith, the faith that you and I should have. Jesus is the one who told the thief on the cross next to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. That gives us this clue that Jesus knew that in the middle of the most intense suffering a human being has ever experienced, he was already victorious through God's rule in love, and he did it in your place and in my place. This passage calls us to to look at Jesus, who while hanging on the cross said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Who is looking towards his father for approval and for affection, fighting to believe that there is nothing in all creation that could separate him from the father's love. And he did it in our place. So that this passage isn't just a condemnation over us. Look at how you have not believed God. But it's instead a promise that says this is not held against you anymore. This, this, your failure in this department, when coronavirus comes, if it comes, if it hurts your family, if it hurts your life and you're racked with anxiety, know that God is looking at you and seeing the obedience and faith of his son in your place. You say, how can I know that that's mine? How can I know that when God looks at me, he sees Jesus fighting to believe in my place? The Bible tells us that this promise, that Jesus' obedience can be ours. Because even though, like Adam and Eve and everybody after them, we have turned away from God and said, God, we do not want you or your ways. We want your promises, but we don't want your rule. God, we want your benefits, but we don't want a relationship with you because we want to live in our own way. The Bible says that because we have all done that, and lived that way and thought those thoughts that God promises to cast us away from himself as his enemies forever. The Bible calls that hell, and we must deal with the fact that God's call in this passage for those who disobey it have only to be enemies of God forever. But Jesus came and lived the life that we should live and died the death that we should die so that all who turn to Jesus, accepting his obedience in our behalf, can then know that nothing, can, no condition can separate us from God's rule and love. Those who take Jesus and turning away from sin can find we are already victorious through him who loved us. The, those who take Jesus can know for sure that nothing can separate us from God's rule in love. This passage calls us to fight to believe that God is ruling us in love. And I want you to think of what changes if we actually believe that. What what changes if we actually believe that God is ruling over us in love? 
It means that the the anxiety and the worries of the coming day begin to be transformed. If, like many people, you are looking at days without work, where's the money going to come from? This passage begins to say, louder than the bills and the anxieties and the worries, begins to be a voice that says, God is ruling over me in love, and COVID-19 and coronavirus and plans about the future aren't going to change that. So then, instead of being anxious, we begin to be people that are convinced. And so we can begin to change our minds about the ways that we live in the middle of so much disruption. If you're dealing with fears about the future regarding your kids, what's going to turn out? This, when we begin to wrap our minds of the fact that God is ruling over us in love, then that means that problems in our family aren't going to disrupt that. And so maybe then we begin to go to those family reunions, those meetings, those vacations with a different mentality. God is ruling over me in love and whatever they say, whatever they've done is not going to change that. So then we become free people. We've, in this series, we've been saying, how does God answer when we say, God, why? What this series and this passage changes as it helps us become free people that are convinced in our guts and in our hearts and in our minds. And so then we can begin to live lives convinced that God is ruling over us in love. And so we can begin to live differently. We can begin to serve differently. We can begin to love and trust and obey. Let's pray. God, I, I want to be as convinced about your thoughts for me as you are. I pray that the people listening right now would be as convinced of your thoughts about them as, as you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand with us.